Sportsnet today. Listen on the air, online, on the Sportsnet app, and always on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960, the fan, Calgary. Keep the hockey conversation going here. Live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. Worried about radon? We install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. Go back down that Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to be joined by editor-in-chief over at the fourth period and a host of SiriusXM NHL Radio, David Pagnotta. How are you doing today, David? I'm great. I'm great. How are you guys? I'm doing all right, buddy. I'm doing all right. It's Friday. Can't complain. We'll uh, we'll start with the, with the local hockey club here. Uh, the Flames' disappointment continues. Uh, 3-2 loss to the Golden Knights last night. Uh, what have you made? There's been some a lot of noise. Internal strife, be it in the locker room, just on the outside, through Alan Walsh's tweets, just a lot of it. What have you made on this, uh, on this uh, Flames club as we get down to the final nine games here? Yeah, well, it definitely seems and appears that, um, you know, not everybody is on the same page. Uh, that much, that much is clear. Um, you know, not everybody's going to always like a coach. Some guys will, some guys won't. Um, all these storylines have, have really started to pick up. Yeah. You mentioned Alan Walsh's tweet. Um, really it's been around mid February yeah. where some of these questions start, started to pick up. So, um, it, it hasn't helped the situation. I, I, I would have to imagine as much as you want to, you know, say if you're on the team that this is, you know, you're blocking out all the noise and you're focused internally. It, it hasn't really been reflected in the performance and the up and down play that we've seen lately. Um, we're going back over a month, really. Um, to me, just further illustrates the point that there is some disconnect here in, in some capacity. Now it, it's not a full, revolt it's not anything like that but i mean there's there's clearly some uh internal issues or struggles at least that are resulting in this team which certainly has the talent to not really be able to kind of click on all cylinders we've we've seen it uh, and a lot of people are pointing to minutes and usage and things of that nature you look to guys like you know Nazem Kadri and and Jonathan Huberto have, who've been brought in they're playing uh, two and a half to three minutes less per night than they had last season, both career years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mackenzie Weger's usage has been down as well uh, in terms of his performance last season. So you can certainly pinpoint certain areas that some of your top guys aren't necessarily being put in a position uh, where they had seen success in the past. And that could certainly be a contributing factor. And that just leads to frustration. Goaltending has been shaky. Markstrom, nobody it's no secret he hasn't been good so all of these different things kind of create a bit of a perfect storm and once things start to get out publicly um it it causes a lot more turmoil and i mean it's it's clear as i mentioned that the way that these guys are performing during the season um it's not indicative of what they're capable of but it's certainly indicative of of some issues that they're battling i don't need to tell you this i don't need to tell our listeners this but the flames are the epitome of a yo-yo club it's one bad year one good year one bad year one good year is it gonna be another kumbaya everything's okay i know the gm doesn't have a contract really daryl Sutter's is the only but only person that has a contract into next year but is it like is it as simple as hey just a down year let's let's work out our issues and run it back with the same group or is, is it gonna be maybe hey maybe bradtree living didn't want to go out and trade for this maybe he wanted to go out for a teardown last summer but it was 
Somebody higher up. Ownership wanted them to keep going, and we get how important playoff revenue is to a Canadian market. But what, what's what's your call on this team in the off season? Like, are, are a lot of a lot of people around here think they're coming up to a crossroads? Yeah, yeah, they are. And and I mean, just going back to last season or last summer, really. Uh, at the time, I don't think anybody's turning the deal down. No. You know, you look at the package, so you can't really, yeah, you, you certainly can't look at that. And if, and if Treliving didn't get that particular deal and it was more futures play, then it dictates the, it, it, it dictates the direction you want to take. It changes the narrative. So I definitely understand that. I would have made that deal myself um, all day. Mm-hmm. And then you get these guys locked into extensions. It, it, it looks all great. Um, but again, there, there is that disconnect in terms of overall performance across, um, the, across the room. So, if you're looking at this going, okay, maybe let's just blame it on a down year and go from there. I, I don't think you can because of what you just said. It's been up and down and up and down year after year. Eventually, you've got to start piecing together some consistency, not just in season, but season after season. And I, I've got to imagine that if it is Tree or somebody else or whatever happens here, that they're going to look to uh, look at this team. And now, because of the contracts in place, you, you almost have to remain – or at least keep yourself within that contention window and, and make some changes that will help you get there. And look, some, some teams you've got to make these types of moves and all of a sudden it kind of clicks and you see that consistent play year after year, but you've got to be in a position where you've got to recognize where some changes need to be made on and off the ice. And, and I think that's going to be part of the big consideration once the season does come to a close, whether it's in a few weeks or, or beyond. Mathematically, it doesn't look great. Obviously, Flames uh, six points out, nine to play, chasing now two teams with the Predators with games in hand and uh, pretty much the same games played as the Winnipeg Jets. But what's your take on this uh, this Western wildcard race? It feels like Winnipeg should have said Sinar to Nashville and Calgary a long time ago, but they keep them around. They're keeping them around. And, and credit Nashville for, for sticking around in this with uh, after what they did at the deadline. Right. I mean, different kind of motivation after oh, yeah. moving out some guys. Uh, no question. And that helps give you a bit of a boost too. We saw that a, a number of years ago. I think Anaheim was one of those teams eight, 10 years ago where they shipped off a bunch of guys and all of a sudden climbed their way into the playoffs. I, I don't know if there's enough runway right now for Nashville to pull that off. Mm-hmm. Cause I think Winnipeg, while they are another up and down team lately, I, I think there's going to be enough for them to kind of solidify that, that final wildcard seed at some point. Um, but you know, you're looking at this and it's almost the position of, because of what I just said, this, this false, false hope. And I hope for teams like Calgary and Nashville, and Nashville's got to make a few modifications to their roster as well with Barry Trotz coming in mm-hmm. uh, full-time as GM, different direction here. Uh, but you, want to, you don't want to cloud your judgment. You don't want to cloud, as we've seen it before, if you look a little more out west, uh, the, the performance down the stretch clouds management's judgment a little bit in, in what you may have versus what you actually have. Mm-hmm. So I, I think going into this, even with, you know, personally, I think the West is set um, in terms of yeah. the eight teams that are going to be in the postseason. So I think you have to look at that from an objective perspective, uh, take a step back and you're looking at your club, whether it's Calgary, Nashville, whomever, uh, St. Louis as well, and go, okay, uh, here's what we like. Here's what we don't like. Here's what we need to fix. And we got to get on this quick. Uh, I think for teams like Calgary, Nashville, to a certain extent as well, um, we know St. Louis wants to get back into it. It's not a rebuild or retool. It's a, uh, a you're modifying on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to take that outside perspective and look at this as a from a broader view rather than just that narrow 
tunnel vision of the final 20, 25 games down the season. The specific division is really interesting. As uh, Edmonton, uh, I feel like this is a good group. This is a group that can win the Stanley Cup, 8-2 and two in their last 10. It's going to obviously come down to goaltending, but LA and Vegas, they're the two best teams in the NHL since the All-Star, or, or, or sorry, rather, the All-Star break. What do you make of the, the LA Kings and, and the Vegas Golden Knights? Is, yeah. It should be a, quite a finish here in the Pacific. Yeah, it's going to be, I, I think, a dogfight right to the end for the for the division crown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking at looking at LA, the additions that they made, bringing in Corpusalo and and more so, you know, Vladislav Gavrikov yeah. really stabilized that defensive core. And this team has modified; they've shifted as the season progressed. They were all offense, and they were trying to rely more on their offense because of their some of their defensive deficiencies, but more so in goal. Phoenix Copley comes in, and you start to see a bit of a change, a little more stability in that, but they're still producing more offensively and focused more on the offensive game. And then since the all-star break and specifically the trade deadline, it's just been a total shift in their overall performance. Yeah, they're scoring goals, but at the same time, defensively, they're a lot more sound and structured than they had been all season long. And yes, Gavrikov has definitely helped and helped stabilize the left side and added some size and physicality, but overall, this team has really, really done a good job in uh, uh, respecting the defensive elements of the game as much as they have the offense. This is a well-rounded group right now, and it wouldn't shock me whatsoever if they continue on this, bit, on, this, on this pace, get on a bit of another run, and claim the division. Conversely with Vegas, I mean, it's another well-rounded, all-around type of team, another deep team. They added some key pieces ahead of the deadline to help further deepen the, the, the roster and add quality depth, not just depth, to their club. The biggest question mark that I have for them is goaltending, and can it stay healthy, and can they keep up with the pace of play come, come the playoffs? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, anything can happen once you get to game 83, uh, and they're definitely going to get there. It's just a matter of where their positioning is going to be. Yeah, Vegas losing Logan Thompson yesterday after coming back. Uh, looks like it'll be John Quick yep. and Laurent Brassois, Aiden Hill. Uh, they got a good rotation there, but I mean, you got to pick a horse eventually. And then I think the the Ivan Barbashev right. ad for Vegas was was so underrated. And and if they get Mark Stone mm-hmm. back in the first round, Vegas will be a very very tough out. We're talking with uh, David Pagnotta, uh, editor in chief over at the Fourth Period and host at Sirius XM NHL Radio. What do you make of the Eastern Wild Card race? I mean, this is interesting. Uh, Sidney Crosby's only missed the playoffs once in his entire career. Got to go all the way back to his rookie mm-hmm. season. Uh, Florida, Matthew Kachuk doing all he can to will these Panthers into a, a playoff spot. They're, they're they're one point out, and then the Islanders are still hanging out there as well, despite the injuries that they've had going on uh, with uh, uh, to uh, to. Oh my God, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, to Pajot uh, was out uh, for a bit. Bar- Barzell's, Barzell's injury. There you go, Barzell's injury. Anyways, but how do you make this uh, the Eastern Car- uh, Eastern Conference Wild Card race? Yeah, I mean, you know, I said the West. I think is set with their eight. I mean, it's. It's a three-team race for those final two wild-card spots in the East. Yeah. Um, with with the way with the way Florida's playing, and you you mentioned it. I mean, Kachuk pretty much putting this team on his back. A um, few points away from a hundred mm-hmm. again. Uh, he's 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 been absolutely dynamite. And you know that that you know, kick in the pants that they got the other night against Toronto. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need that bit of a wake-up call. And when you've got a leader like Kachuk coming out there and acknowledging that. Um, it, it, it's a good sign at this point because you still have runway. You still got 10 games to go in the season. You got to get your butts in gear. And sometimes you need a little wake up call, even at this point of the season, to kind of get there. But this is going to be a dogfight right to the end because, as you said, 
Like, I don't think 87 wants to be golfing early this no. season. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Sid's going to start to continue to turn it up um, along with Malkin and some of the other guys. But the, the bigger question mark I have for Pittsburgh is just their, their goaltending situation. Yeah. Uh, can it be strong enough? Can it be stable enough in these next 10 games? Because like Florida and the Islanders, it's a 10-game stretch now. So can it be strong enough? The Islanders seem to be doing enough. Uh, I, I'm, uh, for me, I mean, look, anything can happen, and they're only three points ahead of, of the Florida Panthers. But the Islanders seem to be just doing enough to keep themselves in there. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious to see how Pittsburgh and Florida are going to be able to, to, to battle this out for that final spot. Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, we mentioned there, there was a tough loss for the Florida Panthers last night. It's a big 6-2 win for the Leafs. Maybe the only bad thing last night was, uh, was the Canadian anthem. Uh, that was done before the game. Uh, can this Leaf group be trusted, uh, knowing what's awaiting them in the first round? And we know that this uh, Tampa Bay—they're going, they're getting another skid here, losing three straight. Is, is this maybe the best time for Toronto to to get through a first round, or is it just, hey, Tampa just wants to get to the postseason? We'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I wanted to believe that that was the case with Tampa, but I was at their game in Montreal on Tuesday, and they just. They looked a little lost, yeah. they, they, and, and maybe it's just them just not putting things down, pedal to the metal, full throttle. Maybe. I've seen enough of this team over the last three seasons plus, four seasons, um, where I could give them the benefit of the doubt, but I, I'm a little bit concerned that maybe they've just played a little bit too much and there's not much left in the tank mm-hmm. to go on another significant run. Now, I say that, and watch, they're going to do it, but... <laughs> Um, this this team, the way that they played, especially earlier this week, eh, it, it it leaves me to wonder more uh, of of what may happen. And this this also leads me to believe that this you're right. This may be the perfect opportunity for Toronto to pounce. I like the additions they made at the deadline. I like the depth that they brought in. Another team quality depth that they were able to bring in, and defensive awareness up front, speed as well. You bring in guys like Achari and Lafferty up front. Ryan O'Reilly's expected to be back before the season wraps, uh, the regular season anyway. So get him in there with 11 games to go right now for Toronto. Maybe he gets in eight, seven, eight games to go, make sure the hand is good, the mm-hmm. fingers are good for the playoffs. Like that, that, those are the types of players you need come, come playoff time. They augmented their defense. You bring in guys like McCabe and Shen, uh, Gustafson to provide more offense. This is another team that has a lot of depth. And I'm not as concerned. Like, I I like, in terms of goaltending, I know it's been the narrative for the most part for the Toronto Maple Leafs for a while Mm -hmm. here. But I'm not overly concerned with Samsonov. He's been very good this season for them. I just don't know if the overall depth will be able to get them through it. I think goaltending will be good enough. uh, But against a team like Tampa, are, are they is there too much experience there that they can poke fun at, or, or I guess, yeah, basically poke fun at, mm-hmm. to try to get them ahead of, of Toronto. But I think overall, the Leafs moves that they made, it gives them the best opportunity to get into the second round. But then your prize there is playing Boston, most likely. So that's, yeah. uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> you can't win for losing in the Atlantic division. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Can Connor McDavid hit 70? He's got 10 games left. Ooh. Um, I don't want to say I don't want to put anything against them, say anything against them, because I mean I just wanted to hit. Quite frankly, I just wanted to hit 150 points. Yeah, um, 12 to go, and that would that would be awesome. I mean, can he pull off 10 goals in 10 games? If anybody's going to pull this off, it'd probably be him. I think he gets just under 
uh, sitting around probably the 67, 68 mm-hmm. mark. But I, I think he, I think he gets over 150 uh, overall. So I, I, I'm going to be cheering either way. I'd love to be able to see it. I want to cheer some of these other guys too. Poster knocks a goal yep. away from 50, five away from 100. Um, you got a few others that are right there, Tage Thompson and others. So I, I want to see as many guys as we can hit the hundred mark, and um, and 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 just let that ride as the seasons kind of continue. So more offense is great uh, for for Connor. I, I look again, as I said, if he if he hits 150 plus, which I think he will, I mean that's going to set the table and, and set the set the bar a little bit higher for everybody else, and that's never a bad thing. Probably could get six fifty goal guys this year. He had four last year. Good chance he might mm-hmm. have six this year. So that's awesome. Awesome. And the Oilers would have two. Jesus. Um, right. <laughs> um yeah, is, that is, would be that'd be great. Oh my god. Uh with the with the World Baseball Classic uh wrapping up this week and, and everything, there's a lot of conversation of the NHL being uh, the one league outside of the NFL that doesn't have a best-on-best best competition. And we, we heard Connor McDavid be uh, quite polarizing about it and see how great it would be. But I think what people... May, is maybe the geopolitical climate right now with Russia the main holdback on having a best-on-best best competition? Or is it like, we can do this without Russia? If you're looking at a World Cup of hockey, um, you're probably going to need them in the mix in some fashion. Yeah, And that's that's been the biggest deterrent for now um, in terms of trying to escalate that and speed up that process. Like we, the hope was 2024. Uh, I, I don't see that happening right now. I mean, mm-hmm. it takes roughly 18, 16 to 18 months from, you know, okay, yeah, we're doing this to, to executing things. I don't know if there's enough runway to make that, to make that happen, to work within the schedule for, for some time in the fall of 2024. Could it be a little bit later? Sure. Um, if you want to, if you don't care about evens and odds, year 25, 26, who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to see it. I, I definitely want to see it. Now in 26, you got the Winter Olympics in Italy. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a little bit of an appetite to make that happen for for the players. Time zone is a little bit more accepting. Oh yeah. Uh, being in Europe, so it, it, I think there's an appetite to make that happen, and that might be it. May by default be the first international event that we put on now keep in mind the difference the prime difference between olympics and world cup the nhl and the nhlpa split 50 50 the revenue that's brought in through the world cup they see nothing out of out of the olympics Mm -hmm. in terms of monetary value and and revenue generating so it, it from a growing the game perspective it's great uh but in order to make the world cup a success you want to have the best on best so it I understand the arguments for for wanting to push this back, um, and I think that's right now the, the stuff going on um, with with Russia is a big reason why there's not been a significant amount of progress in trying to make the World Cup happen right now. Uh, one more for you, David. Uh, best market for for one Connor Bedard. I'm talking fit, markability, coaching, maybe everything. You know, because there's some inept groups out there. I think a lot of people want to see, yeah, of course, if he's not going to my favorite team, I want to see him go to a place where he can flourish and be success and, and see what greatness can come out of him and what the NHL can do with him. Where do you think would be the best fit for him? Looking at, at things, you're probably looking at Chicago. Yeah. You're looking at the mar- the market, um, the size of the market from a population perspective, from a broadcast perspective. Um television market is huge. I mean, this is 
and, and then with, you know, Patrick Kane out and, and a lot of speculation over the future of Jonathan Taves, mm-hmm. um, this would be a nice transition to see, to see Connor Bedard in, in Chicago. I mean, you know, look for markets like San Jose and Columbus and Anaheim, it would be huge. I guess the other one you could argue is maybe the Montreal Canadiens mm-hmm. um, to see if they can somehow go from five to one and pull that off. But you look at this, you look at even the top three guys in the draft, you have Bedard, you have Santilli, you have Leo Carlson. I mean, all things considered, those are potentially three number ones, but depending on the year. So if you're in the top three, you're smiling from ear to ear, uh, and you <laughs> you kind of have a player that you can definitely build around. Bedard, without question, you know, top tier. Um, but I think if teams can't pull it off and can't, you know, end up getting the ping pong balls don't go in their favor, mm-hmm. I think they're going to, in top three anyway, the other two are going to win. But in terms of primary markets, I think overall from a league side, Chicago, and then, you know, you look at the Montreal Canadiens right behind them. I think if, if he goes, if they end up with the first overall pick, on either of these two clubs, I think the league would be smiling. I think they'd be thrilled if it ends up being Chicago, just from an overall market perspective with the U.S. in, in play. Thank you so much, David, for, for all this uh, great information. And uh, enjoy the weekend and uh, the rest of the season. We'll do this again soon, buddy. Sounds great. Take care. There you go. It's David Peñata, uh, the uh, editor-in-chief over at the fourth period and a host at Sirius XM. NHL radio want to give you an update quickly here Uh, Matthew Coronado was in action earlier on today as his Harvard Crimson uh, played their first round match against the Ohio State Buckeyes it did not go very well the Ohio State Buckeyes win 8-1 Ohio uh, moves on to the quarterfinals where they will take on Quinnipiac or Merrimack in the next round so that is it for Matthew Coronado and the Harvard Crimson this year uh, what's next Uh, we we know we've heard that Brad Treliving has flown out to Bridgeport Connecticut to uh perhaps negotiate a new deal. Uh, His first NHL contract with one Matthew Coronado, of course, still has two years left of NCAA eligibility as he just completed his sophomore season. Uh, But we'll see what happens as uh, he's eligible now to be signed if he chooses to come over uh, to the Calgary Flames. Obviously, there's a lot that has to go into that as well. If if it's the right situation right now, uh, especially with the way the things are in the standings, do you want to bring him in right now or wait until you're officially eliminated. But uh, that'll be one to monitor this weekend for sure. Uh, around the break, uh, we're going to do some something fun. Uh, NHLuniforms.com. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but if you have, uh, this is one of the best websites for any hockey jersey nerd. Uh, we're going to talk with the creator and founder of that website, Andrew Greenstein, up next as Sportsnet Today continues here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Back to Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today. Live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, where they are your local experts for basement waterproofing, sump pumps, crawl spaces, foundation repair, and radon mitigations. We are all things basement D. Visit dlbasementsystemscalgary.com. Looking forward to this chat. Had to keep it going with obviously Fanatics announcing that they'll be taking over the NHL uh, uniform uh, maker starting in the 2024-2025 season. Thought this would be a good uh, opportunity to talk to... Uh, Somebody who uh, maintains one of my favorite websites. He's the creator uh, and founder of NHLuniforms.com, the unofficial NHL uniform database. Uh, Andrew Greenstein uh, also uh, works as a reporter for News Radio 1080 in Dallas, Fort Worth. How are we doing today, uh, Andrew? I'm doing great. How about you? It's Friday. Yeah, we can't... made it through yet another work week. Exactly. We made it through another work week. It's Friday. I'm done here in a half hour. It's going to be awesome. Uh, just want to. 
Yeah, there we go. Uh, talk to me about your website. You created in 2001. Uh, I mean, I've been going on this thing probably since uh, the Edge jerseys de- made their debut in 07, 08, and I was like, oh, wow, this is crazy. This is an amazing website. But we'll, we'll talk about the idea. Where did it start? And talk about how, how this uh, came to be. Well, many years ago when I got my first uh, computer, I just did some uh, doodling uh, on uh, in Microsoft Paint uh, just on the backs of the jerseys because I didn't know how to do logos on the front of the jerseys yet back then. Now, this is in the, the mid-1990s. Yeah. And then uh, just one thing led to another, and then I learned how to do some basic um, HTML web design. And uh, before I knew it, I had uh, a full-fledged website. Now, I started when, I, when it first launched in 2001. I just focused on the expansion era from 67, 68 on. Mm-hmm. And then uh, just slowly over time, I went all the way back to, uh, to the beginning of the league, 17, 18. Now, what was your, uh, where do you, you get the source for it? Was it just like going through like Googling images of these websites, of these jerseys and seeing what they looked like back in the day? And like, uh, how did you, how did you go about putting them on the website? Well, that's, that's precisely what I did. You know, I went back, I uh, did some uh, image searches of, um, of uh, different teams and different uniforms of different eras. Of course, the further back you go, the more scarce it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the the easiest way to to date a jersey, I think, is to see it in action against an opponent, or to uh, look up you know a more obscure player, a player who may have played for a particular team in only one or two seasons, so you can narrow down exactly which season goes with which jersey. Okay, okay. Uh, now, were you all like, what did you, you were a big NHL fan growing up, or is it just like you've always loved sweaters, uniforms, you love that stuff? Well, I've grown up in Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, you know, I've I've been a huge hockey fan my entire life. Grew up watching the Bruins. Uh, they they broke my heart every spring, <laughs> <laughs> like 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 most teams do uh, across the league. But uh, yeah, they they've had some uh, some brilliant seasons. Of course, they won the Stanley Cup in 2011, and uh, they've got a good chance to do so oh. this year. But you know, of course, you know the playoffs are a whole different ball game, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Hey man, 115 points right now. They're trying to harness their uh, 1978 Montreal Canadiens the best they can. Like uh, that's a good group. Uh, They'll be dangerous for sure come postseason. Uh, are you a jersey collector? No, yours? Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, as long as uh, one of their opponents in the playoffs doesn't end up uh, acquiring a player like the, the Canadians acquired Ken Dryden in 1971, <laughs> which, of course, changed the whole course of, of that playoff season. For sure. So you were asking if I, I was a jersey collector. Yeah. I only have just a couple of them. I'm, I'm really not much of a jersey collector, actually. Okay, okay. What are, we, what are some of your favorites uh, that you have? Uh, that I have, I've got a, 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 an Ottawa Senators jersey from uh, the 1990s. Uh, I have a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey. Uh, the Maple Leafs gave me that jersey for uh, uh, doing some uh, some work in there for their uh, media guides. You know, I supplied uh, some of the uh, the images um, that they used in their media guides for a few years, so they gave me a jersey. I was you know very appreciative of that. I have an old uh, Coyotes jersey. Uh, and of course, I've got a Bruins jersey that's hanging in my living room. <laughs> got to have that. Got to have the hometown crew for sure. Uh, what did you make of uh, Fanatics uh, announcing that they were taking over as the NHL uniform manufacturer? I know social media was quite uh, 
quite quite angry, I guess you could say, because you could go through the, the way Fanatics deals with their customer services and and some of the mistakes they've made on the products. But obviously, they're going to invest a ton of money into this, and we're we're going to anticipate some good looks here. But what what was your first uh, thought when you saw that Fanatics was going to be the new NHL manufacturer starting uh, in 2024? Well, I think there are two two important things to note here. Number one, uh, from what I understand, Fanatics already manufactures the um, game-issued jerseys in both Major League Baseball and the NFL. Uh, of course, they all of them carry the Nike logos, yes. but I believe I could be I could be wrong here, so don't take this. As I possible. know for sure the MLB. Okay, so they actually manufacture those jerseys, uh, but this is going to be the first time that the Fanatics logo actually appears on the jersey itself that that's going to be worn on the ice mm-hmm. and the other thing is is that the jerseys are going to be made in the exact same factory using the exact same specifications that you're seeing right now so come 24-25 the only change i would think the only change that fans are going to see on the ice is the adidas logo on the back being replaced with the fanatics logo would you anticipate a, a similar league rebrand like we saw ahead of the 2007-2008 uh, season? Feels like it's a perfect time to go about that. Um, that there might be. Uh, it, I think it's going to be a few years down the line uh, in uh, Fanatics' ten-year uh, contract. Yeah, just similar to what we saw when uh, uh, when Reebok took over the um, uh, the contract, which was supposed yeah. to be in 2004-2005. Of course, uh, that the local beer league team down the street won more games than any <laughs> NHL team that season. Uh, but uh, but what? But seriously, in oh five oh six and oh six oh seven, the only difference between those jerseys and the ones that were worn in previous yep. years was that those jerseys, those two years, had the Reebok logo mm-hmm. on the back instead of uh, the CCM or Coho logos that were in place for the previous four seasons. Do you, I, I've always kind of wondered this. Do you have maybe an answer on this? I'm sorry if you, I'm putting you on the spot here. Like when they did that, uh, when they had the home jersey swap in 0304, where it went back to the color jerseys uh, for the home one, and they had uh, the coho on the home and the and the CCM on the road. Is there a reason why they did that? I would say now I don't know the official reason. The only thing that I could think of, and once again, don't quote me on this one, is that perhaps Coho and CCM were both owned by the same company. Mm. Okay, okay. That's what it could be. I'd, I'd, um, I'd have to look that up, but that would be my my best um, explanation is that uh, the two are both uh, divisions of the same parent mm-hmm. company. Uh, what I've just been looking through this and I was trying to pinpoint what year had my favorite look of jerseys. And I, I had to go somewhere probably in the mid to late nineties. Once the third Jersey program started, uh, getting underway and the NHL maybe started getting more creative with their looks. Do you have a favorite year in particular where the league just looked absolutely magnificent? Oh boy. A favorite year. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure, but I think one of the things that you saw, like in, in the 2000s, uh, and actually starting in the mid-1990s, is that teams you know, shied away from the bright colors for more muted colors and more earth tones. So you saw a lot more you know, darker colored uh, uniforms mm-hmm. in that area. I think what we started to see a few years ago, we saw a reverse of that trend. You know, For example, the Edmonton Oilers, now they're back to, uh, to royal blue for now the third time. You know, they started with Royal, then they went back to Navy, back to Royal, then to Orange, and now they're back to Royal again. So 
Uh, I, I, I would think the third time's a charm with them, and I think they're, they may have realized, you know what, we got it right the first time. We're not going to futz around with it anymore. Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at like, and you can point to like uh, just logos and companies we see in our day to day where they they're bringing back their old look. I, I look at Subway; they're one that they went back to their older look as well. Do you do you kind of exactly. like where? When, 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 yeah, I was going to say when I, when I look at the 2022-23 uniform, yeah. just looking through it, I'm counting just you know Arizona, Buffalo, Calgary. Um, Colorado, to, maybe to a lesser extent. Maybe to a lesser extent, Colorado. There are a few few differences between them and and they're ninety five, ninety six today. And yeah, exactly. Uh, Edmonton. Um, uh, who else? Um, Islanders. Montreal's never changed. And the Islanders, yes. Uh, the, the Rangers also. Senators. Uh, they when they brought back their um, yeah the Senators, uh, the Flyers, yeah, uh, the, the Penguins. Uh, so yeah, I have a lot of teams that had changed their uniforms which have gone back to basically what they wore the first time. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think that's what I think you're seeing like with with with, with what Calgary's doing is uh once they got away from their their the Reebok, their piping and everything and they went back to their 80s look. Uh they they saw what Edmonton was doing and I think it's one of the best looks uh in the war, in, in the league right now and uh like anytime the, sure. it's the Flames and the Sabers with that with that old logo Sabers logo and that blue and gold and that red and gold, I think it's one of the best jersey matchups in all of sports. Uh Anyway, well, of course, I, yeah. I got to see. I got to see this. I got to see uh, your Calgary Flames uh, last year in the playoffs when they took yeah. on the Dallas Stars. And uh, even though you know, for personal reasons, I would have much rather <laughs> have seen uh, the Stars play the Colorado Avalanche that year, um, which I won't get into. But still, <laughs> I saw a very, very good jersey matchup. It was yeah. just, that, that those those white jerseys from the Calgary Flames. You know, some of the one of the best looks in the NHL. But one of the things that I'm curious about. Um, and I would probably have to ask uh, Flames Brass about this. If you notice on their home jerseys today that their tail stripes are offset from the hem. Now, if they were to go for uh, the era-correct look, then those those stripes would extend all the way to the bottom. So yeah. I don't know what the explanation is there uh, with uh, the change in the, the striping orientation so that's maybe that's maybe something that uh, I would love to ask Flames Brass about. Yeah, no, yeah, you you bring that up. I just clicked like eighty five, eighty six, and the yellow goes all the way down to the bottom on the red jersey. And then you're looking at this one; there's still a little bit of the red yoke underneath. Uh, maybe it's an Adidas thing to put there. I don't know, but it's it's one of those fascinating things. I love I love these conversations, Andrew. Thank you so much uh, for joining me. Uh, uh, what uh, you got? Anything uh, going on with uh, with the website, or just uh, just keep updating, keep updating? Yeah, that that's pretty much you know that's pretty much what I do. You know the uh, the website. You know, I just, it's uh, it, it, it's a never ending task of keeping it updated. Of course, any <laughs> uh, uniforms that are going to be unveiled during the off season, I'll post them on the on the team pages right away. I think where I think we're expecting a, a new look from the Philadelphia Flyers yep. Yep. this off season, which really is a shame because the Flyers, in my view, have had one of the best looks in the NHL ever since their inception. Especially with their back numbers, uh, that they're bold, they're uh, they're legible all the way from the upper deck. Uh, so hopefully they won't reinvent the wheel too much with with their new mm-hmm. look. But those will be posted right away. Uh, the twenty three twenty four season will be posted uh, on uh, the opening night of of that regular season, and uh, of course they're like. Any year, 
Uh, right now, there are, there are three teams in which I've got uh, players that have since moved on to other teams. I address those towards the end of the offseason because we'll have more player movement in the offseason. If I choose another player right now, I may just have to change it again if that player gets moved. Do you, do you have any like uh, reasons to putting players? Like, I see most of them have captains, but some teams that don't have the captain, do you, do you have any reasoning to, to put a uh, certain player on the back? Well, but I tend to go for the ones that have the most longevity with the team. Okay, that makes you know, sense. So that uh, I don't have to uh, keep on changing the numbers every few years. And of course, there are some of them. There's just nothing you can do about it. But uh, <laughs> I go for players that you know have a long tenure with the team. Okay, well that's that's fair. Well, well, thank you very much, Andrew, for this conversation. It was fascinating. I love your website uh, and all the best uh, uh, with the website. And uh, have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you very much. Have a good one now. There you go. That's Andrew Greenstein. He joined us down the Atlas Beats and Sports Bar Gas Hotline using that same secret recipe since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or delivery at 403-248-3344. Why don't you play uh, this quick uh, audio a little bit from uh, earlier on. Daryl Sutter with the media uh, earlier on today. In the final moments of the game, your team trailing by goal, what goes into this, the decision to put certain players on the ice versus others? That um, it depends if it's on the fly or face off. Yeah, so like if you, for example, you're probably thinking about last night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were, we got killed on faceoffs. So basically, we had Lindy and Bax both out there. So you got a ready lefty, right? So that was so that does affect a lot of times. You're going five and one, you know, like five forwards, one one D or four and two, depending on how much time there is, and, and two ready's on the bat, whatever. It's, there's a lot of different. It's not a set, and then when you, when they do the timeout, it's just reinforcing. A, uh, usually, you have a, depending on time, you have two or three set plays that you just want to reinforce. So it's not it's not really anything new, but it's uh, but the personnel can change. So for Jonathan, who's a distributor in that situation, you didn't see a, a fit for him like the last minute of yesterday's for game. For who? Uh, Huberto. Uh, yeah, I think it would if. It would have been better on faceoffs than one of Lindy or, or probably backs. Jonathan would have been for backs because that's a lefty. Right? But we needed the faceoff, and backs was going to take it. You know, what have you got from Nick Ritchie since he's gotten here? Um, you know what? I th- think the the uh, mindset at the start was to to uh, I think we let him watch. I think it was one or two, and then try and. See if we could find a spot for him in there somewhere. Um, what, what was the question, though? Just what, what, what have you seen from him, or what have you, uh, what have you liked from? What yeah, I think when he's got his feet moving and he's, you know, he's in the battle. He's he's an effective player. That's that's pretty evident. When you came to San Jose, you had to change the culture of that team to start getting it on a winning path. They're again in a situation where they have to get back to changing the culture and being on a winning yeah. path. The difficulties of that as a coach. Yeah, I think first you need that real, you need that handful of guys in your room that you, to make it not so difficult, right? The guys that are your voice, right? That's that's the most important part. Because, because you the culture part and all that, you can, it doesn't matter, you're always going to have three or four guys off to the side, right? So eventually when your team gets that culture, whatever you want to call it, whatever that word is, 
the other 20 guys take care of those guys for you, right? That's the difference. It takes, it takes some time nowadays, though, right? Yeah, I mean. for sure, especially with the, you know, that's when you talk about that way back then, the difference would be age groups, salaries, um, waivers, no waivers. You know what? Power of society. Guys asking us today, they're talking about because somebody's minutes are down. Well, they missed three or four shifts, and everybody's going, Well, freaking coach has got, got a problem. He's got no problem with anybody. He's freaking trying to win hockey games. <laughs> Daryl, back in uh, 2007, did the scouts tell you if you took Michael Backlund, he'd probably play 900 some games? Pretty for awesome. Lines? I was talking about him last night walking out. And it's funny because his mom's in town. and and I hadn't seen his mom since the draft. Oh, really? Yeah. So I had a good visit with her, too. So it's pretty awesome. You know, it's, it, uh, it goes fast. Like, you think about somebody like Michael, and he's, and he's having a hell of a year. You know, he's having his numbers-wise and, and, quite honest, performance-wise. It, it might be his best year. So it speaks volumes to, about him. Is it because it's becoming more and more rare that a guy plays that many just in one place? Does that make it more special? Yeah, I mean, I, even when you look at the, you know, we just came from the Vegas, off Vegas, and you looked at somebody like Jonathan Quick, and it was sort of the uh, big thing because he played so long in one place. But but uh, it's rare. I mean, you think about it, there's free agency now. The guys can hit the hit the road at, at 26, or you know, if they're not or. You know, they go through their bridge deal and they hit a home run and away they go. That's that's the way it works now. It's quite a bit different. I mean, you look, you think about it. Jonathan Quick was what 16 or 17 years, whatever it was, in one place, won a couple of cups, won Con Smythe, All Star, signed a 10-year contract, all that stuff. Then he gets traded. And he's going, oh, geez. But the general manager is Rob Blake, who's a Hall of Famer, and he got traded too and had to go in a couple times. And then he comes back to LA. So, you know, that's the way it all works. That's that's the way the game is now. And more teams, very simple. You get 32 teams, right? It used to be, you go, yeah, you you, th you go from 6 to 32, and then you, as you go up, well, there's not that much, there's not that much movement, right? The only the movement is more between that level and this level, not between teams. So you see a lot more of it now. There you go. That's a little bit of uh, Daryl Sutter from earlier on today. Uh, they get ready for the San Jose Sharks tomorrow afternoon. Uh, we'll be on the air at 1 o'clock for Flames warm-up with uh, Pat and Lubo. Puck drop a little bit after 2 p.m. right here on Sportsnet 960. Fan, don't need to tell you, uh, it's grim right now. Uh, the playoffs are looking not likely as the Flames are six points out uh, with nine to play uh, and a team in front of them in Nashville that has games in hand. Uh, Winnipeg in action tomorrow afternoon at the same time as the Calgary Flames. They both have 2 p.m. puck drops. Winnipeg in Los Angeles. Flames, of course, taking on the Sharks at noon. The Nashville Predators host the Seattle Kraken, so there's a good chance that the Flames will know what Nashville has done uh, when they are taking, before they take the ice against the San Jose Sharks. Uh, for Cam Hughes, Taylor Dingman, I'm Patrick Dumas. Thank you for listening. This has been Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.